Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. I want to I do some just Bible teaching this morning, if you'll permit me. I feel like one of the things that the Lord has been doing over the last several months is... Um, Hey, I'm just going to ask if y'all gather the kids and have them sit down, please. That'd be great. Thank you so much. One of the things that the Lord has uh, been teaching us over the last several months is that some of the staples of... Christian doctrine and some of the staples of what we have known about God, about our walk with him. Let me say what he's been teaching me is that there's, there's a whole lot more depth to some of the um, foundational principles, foundational doctrines um that that we've been taught and that we have um really attempted to live out you know we focused for for numerous weeks on the idea of the justification of god you know you rarely hear a message uh anymore about the doctrine of justification and um We've, we've been talking about becoming the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so one of the things that I believe the Lord has been doing is he, he's been peeling back the layers. He's been, how, how many of you have seen Shrek? You've seen that movie Shrek, right? And he said he's, he's, that, that, that an ogre is like an onion, that there's multiple layers that you, that you pull back. And so, um, I feel like he's been, I feel like he has been removing some layers and uh, even changing some ideas. I can tell you that today there are things that I believe about God that I did not believe about God several years ago. Is anybody else in that boat? Uh, there, there are things that I'm understanding about him that are, um, that are opening my eyes after being in relationship with him for 30 years, they're opening my eyes to a greater dimension of the love of God than I've ever known in my life. Than I've ever known in my life. And, and so today I want to I talk about this word that, that we've used for years and years and years. Um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the word atonement. The atonement of the blood of Jesus. The atonement... Um, and, uh, I really want you to, I really want you to ask Holy Spirit today just to speak to your heart as I, uh, as, as I begin just hearing Holy Spirit in regard to this word, he, he literally was, was just rattling the foundations of even my perception of his love and how much deeper it is uh, than anything I've ever known. You guys can be done. Thank you. 
we're, we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, but we're going to end up in John 17. And um, just want to attempt to teach it just a little bit about what, what I feel like the Lord is saying. I'm going to read something before we jump into that. So glad that you're here. So thankful that you were able to be with us today. And uh, as Rebecca mentioned, we're super excited that Rick's going to get to be with us next week. So I want you to come and be a part of that. <clears throat> the perception you have of restoration, I want you to hear that word. The perception you have of restoration fuels what you believe about how God sees you and others. I want to say that again. The perception you have of restoration fuels what you believe about how God sees you and others. It is impossible for God to function at any level of incompleteness. It is impossible for God to function at any level of incompleteness. He is completely all in all. His character, power, Efficiency, sufficiency, and overall complete nature possess no ability to fail. But listen to this. His nature possesses no ability to fail, but his nature possesses no ability to even slip a centimeter. His nature possesses no ability to fail, but it also possesses no ability to slip even a centimeter. I want you to hear the depth of that statement. We know that God cannot fail. We know that. Whether we live that practically or not, we know that and have a depth of understanding in regard to that. Do we also have the same faith that his nature towards us has no ability to slip even a centimeter. He, as a matter of fact, I want to say this. He does not have to readjust his position. He does not have to readjust his thought process toward you from the time that he spoke you into your mother's womb. I want you to I, I, I want you to grasp the the depth of that, because I, I, f I feel like sometimes, as we go through life and and we we encounter uh, circumstances and and issues in life, it's 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 where how many of you have ever heard this or someone said, if God is so good, then why? Have you ever, you heard that? If, if God is really watching over my life, then why did I have to go through what I went through? If God is really who he says he is, why then did this circumstance happen the way that it did? And, and so I just want to reaffirm today that God does not have any ability to fail, but he doesn't even have the ability to slip a centimeter. He does not have the ability to, to slip a centimeter, nor does he have to readjust his position or thought process 
about you. I remind us of this so that we can remember his greatness, but also his intentionality. The intentionality of God cannot be overstated. God never wastes words or actions. Everything is with and for purpose. This is why we use terms like the completed work of the cross. Because in the work of the cross, there is no ability for it to fail. There is no ability for it to be incomplete. The plan set into motion before the foundation of the world carries with it the idea of complete restoration from what was forfeited in the garden with the fall of humanity based on an insatiable desire for knowledge. Let me say that again. The plan set into motion before the foundation of the world carries with it the idea of complete restoration from what was forfeited in the garden through the fall of humanity based on an insatiable desire for knowledge. So before I get into Romans, I I just want to talk about that just for a moment. Go back with me to the Garden of Eden, the formation of Adam and Eve. They're in paradise. They're in a place in a garden that God planted. They're in a place where they're walking with God, talking with God in the cool of the day over and over again. And he says, there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and there's a tree of life and you can eat of every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what Adam and Eve did is they bypassed life so that they could have knowledge. They bypassed life so that they could have knowledge. We will run ourselves in the ground trying to figure out why something happens, trying to figure out why we had to go through this, why we had to go through that. And we get into this rat race that the enemy is just absolutely throwing fuel on the fire because we have an insatiable desire to know so that I can know. And here's what we say, I want to know so I can settle it in my heart. Well, I wonder, do we have the same desire to know the father so we could settle in our heart that regardless of what we go through and regardless of what we encounter, that he has not slipped in his position, not even a centimeter. And so we're, we're in, we're in this, this idea of the fall of man because knowledge was trumping life, knowledge, life, which would you choose? So the fall brings us into our need for atonement. Are, y'all, are, are, are we okay today? I'm going to try to just really go slow, and, and I, I really want to walk this out. The, this fall brings us to our need for atonement, or better stated, a sacrifice that would bring us back into right standing with God. This is where we insert what we've been talking about for months, justification and realizing the identity of being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, atonement is an Old Testament word, okay? I want you to know that. I want you to understand that in the New Testament, there's a word that is used for atonement and it's reconciliation, okay? So in the New Testament, the different word for atonement is reconciliation. Means the same thing, okay? Reconciliation is a really interesting word for me because as, as good Christian people, it's really easy for us to talk about atonement because that sounds good and it puts, it puts no real pressure 
on us. But when we start talking about reconciliation and what we believe about reconciliation, it's a little different because remember we've been talking about being in a justice consciousness and a, a righteousness consciousness. In a justice consciousness, it can be difficult to fully understand atonement or better yet reconciliation because our focus is often on the stipulations that are understood or perceived that keep us from embracing full restoration. So what, what am I saying? I'm saying that reconciliation can be difficult for us sometimes because we don't fully believe that someone can totally be restored. That's why some people, I'm sure nobody in this room, but some people hold grudges against their spouse for years and years and years and years because they don't really believe that they can fully be restored or reconciled to the place before they did whatever it was that they did that hurt you. It's not just in marital relationships. It's also in parental relationships, siblings, whatever it is. Let, let, let me say this. There are people there are people today who are still, and, and I'm going to date myself right now, I'm a, and, and I know that I'm only 40, but, you know, I've, I've been around this world for a long time. There are people today who are still hurt and will not come to God because of what Jimmy Swaggart did. Seriously. Jim Baker. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. And the reason that people stay in that is because they don't really believe that there can be true reconciliation, that there can be true restoration from the fall that they witnessed to happen. And what we do is we put ourselves on the throne and say, hey, here's the stipulations that are necessary for them to meet. And if they don't meet the stipulations that I have conjured up, that I have developed in my life, then there's no way that we can fully be restored. Or we'll say it like this. I'm going to forgive you, but I'm never going to trust you again. I, I, I'm going, I'm going to, to forgive you, but I'm sure not going to forget. Right? And, and so I, I bring that to our attention because I want us to understand that, that it can be sometimes difficult to hear the fullness of what happens in atonement, specifically because in the New Testament under grace, it's called reconciliation. We, we sometimes have a difficult with that, difficulty with that because of stipulations that we put on other people or that we, we throw out there. Does that, does that make any sense? And, and so... Um, I, I, I want us to, to really think today about moving from a justice consciousness into a righteousness consciousness. Let, let me say this. Sometimes we don't approach God the Father because we don't even believe that the reconciliation is correct in our lives. And so we, we won't go to him I was going to ask this question at the beginning, and, and I think now is a better time. What is the spirit, and I don't mean Holy Spirit, evil spirit, but what is the motivation or driving force for your interior life? Is it Abba Father, or is it Judge? Now, we all would want to say it's Abba Father, but do we approach him like he's really Father, or are we still approaching him? What, what is the motivation for your interior life? 
and I want us to see that, that the atonement, reconciliation, whatever it is you want to call it today, was so much deeper than you saying a prayer so that you could go to heaven one day in the future. I, I, I want to show you that today. So Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. And we're just going to hit this really quickly, and then we're really going to jump in to John 17, because that's really where I want to hang my hat. Okay, Romans 5, 6 through 11, Passion Translation, of course. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still un. Godly. I, I want you to see the wording that Paul uses here because we often talk about the love of Christ. We talk about the Holy Spirit and how he makes us feel. But notice the intentionality that Paul uses here. But Christ proved God's love, his passionate love for us, by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. Man, that's good. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Listen, can you let that go so deep into you that it revolutionizes how you actually view Father God? That you will never experience the wrath of God. I know people that right now today who have been in church their whole life, they pray this prayer often and with sincerity. I hope God doesn't get me. I hope he doesn't get me. And some people don't say that with their lips, but they live it with their approach to who he is. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, here it is, God fully reconciled us. Remember what I said, there's no ability to be incomplete. There's no ability to slip one centimeter. That he fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Oh, I love this. Then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, now much more we will be rescued from sin's dominion. And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living in harmony with God all because of Jesus Christ. How many of you love the Bible? Man, I love the Bible. So good. So, so, so let's look at this again. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now, this, this, is, this is just the commentary there in the Passion Translation, so, so you can see this. The Greek verb for reconciled is actually exchanged. That's what it means. It actually means exchanged. God fully exchanged our sins for his righteousness 
and thus reconciled us to God. Not incomplete, not partially, not the really bad stuff or, or the really small stuff that I did, but he fully exchanged our sins for his righteousness that we might be reconciled to God. Then Dr. Simmons says this, the reign of death is caused by the guilt of sin. One of the greatest tactics, and we talked about this in Sweeping the Four Corners, one of the greatest tactics that the enemy has is to keep you reeling from guilt because of your past decisions. And he just said that it is guilt that allows death to reign in your life. So what does that look like to remove the guilt of sin? What does it look like to remove the very guilt of what you know you did, but because he sees you as justified, you are now reconciled to him. He exchanged the really bad that you did for the really good that he is so that you could be complete in him. That's really what he's saying, so that you could be complete in him, okay? The essence of the word atonement, the essence of the word atonement is this, that it is simply at one meant at one meant if you break that down atonement at one meant it's the state of being at one or being reconciled so that the atonement is reconciliation. Thus it is used to denote the effect which flows from the death of Christ. You are restored to a place of oneness with God. You move in unity with the will of the Father. Atonement is so that you could become one with the Godhead. This and this alone was the plan from the foundation of the world, that you would be one with the Godhead. I want to show you that that is original intent. That's words we use around here a lot, original intent. That the original intent was that you would be one. And here's how I know we don't have that yet, because we don't live practically like we are at one with him. We still live somewhat fractured, wondering, does he really love me? And can I really experience the fullness of who he is? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm going to echo what Rebecca said earlier. He paid for better. He paid for greater. And this is what he wanted. Okay. John 17, John 17. Everybody okay? Good. Okay, John 17, verses 4 and 5. This is one of the baddest scriptures in the Bible. This is right up there. You remember a few weeks ago I was talking to you about Nicodemus, and Jesus said no one has risen into heaven except for the Son of Man, and he's there also. Like right now is what he was saying. I'm here and I'm there, right? That's a bad scripture. This one is bad to the bone too. I have glorified you on the earth, verse 4 of John 17. I have glorified you on the earth by faithfully doing everything you've told me. So my Father, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were face to face before the universe was created. Restore me back to the glory when we were face to face before the universe was created. In other words, take me back to the point where we developed this whole plan before I, oh, see, see, see. 
Take me back to where we were talking about what this plan would entail before time ever began. This is Jesus, his prayer life, his interior prayer life is driven with the knowledge that Abba Father has never left him, never forsaken him. He has a moment of weakness on the cross and says, why have you forsaken me? But and I'm not going to go into this, but, but there's something that happens in an exchange between Jesus and God the Father because right after he says that, whatever Father released to him, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, it is finished. So I want you to see that this, um, this conversation that Jesus is having with the Father, he said, I want you to restore me back to the glory when we were face to face before the universe began. Now, I told you I was going to teach, so let me just go straight. Bible nerd for a little while, okay? I want to talk to you about a hermeneutical law in theology called hermeneutics is the study of scripture, the way that that you apply scripture in context, okay? So it's this law, I've talked about it a little bit before, but I want to go a little deeper. It's the, the, the law of first mentions, okay? The law of first mentions. Whatever comes first in the text the following will in the following in line will support what was first mentioned okay so if we take uh, in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth right adam falls we see the fall in the garden we see the fall of humanity the rest of scripture that's the law of first mention right that's the first adam the rest of scripture is leading us to the fact that there was a second adam came to bring restoration and reconciliation so that we could operate in the same communion that they did in the garden okay are you with me so the theological law of first mentions says that whatever is mentioned first that the text following it is going to support that which was mentioned first okay so Jesus says, I've glorified you on the earth by, f- by faithfully doing everything you've told me to do. So Father, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were face to face before the universe was created. Okay? This is the prayer of Jesus as he knows he's about to face death. And this prayer is, I want you to bring me back to the place where we were connected face to face before time began. Okay? So that is, that is a first mention. Verse 11, Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world and return and be with you, but my disciples will remain here, so I ask that by the power of your name, protect each one of them that you have given me and watch over them so they will be united as one even as we are one, okay? This is a prayer for unity. We've heard it preached for eons of time. This is a prayer for unity for the body. I want to show you that it's much deeper than just unity for the body, okay? This is a prayer that is so much more than that. Jesus in John 17, I want you to catch this. If you read all of John 17, Jesus is standing in the place of intercession. We know him as intercessor now, right? He's standing at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. We have that assurance, right? In this moment, after John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is talking to the disciples about what is about to happen, the release of Holy Spirit, the release of persecution that would come to them, you're going to be okay. He goes into the place of intercession and begins to pray. From this place of intercession, I want you to see this, Jesus is literally birthing the church. 
He is literally bringing the church that we would come to understand in Acts chapter 2. In this moment, he's doing it. He does not waste words, and he does not waste moments. I want you to hear that. He does not waste words, and he does not waste moments. And he's not going to sacrifice his reputation on you to waste a word or to waste a moment or a promise, okay? He's standing in the place of intercession and literally birthing the church with his prayers, but it's deeper even still. There's more. Verse 21. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I are one. Here it is. Father, as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us. I pray for them to become one with us. This is the essence of atonement. For the very glory, I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Now, before I read that next verse, which is amazing, remember what we just talked about in the first verse, restore me to the glory of when we were face to face. That's his glory, right? For the very glory you have given me, I have given them. So that we will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Jesus is still referencing original intent. He's speaking. I want you to hear this. He is speaking from the depth of the knowledge that he has has now and that he had before time began. He is speaking from the knowledge that he has now and the knowledge that he had before time began. That we would be restored to the place of oneness, atonement with the Godhead. Restore them to the original thoughts. Restore them to the original thoughts that we had for them before the fall. Restore, man, restore them to the original thoughts that we had for them before the fall. How about this? Restore them to the original thoughts that we had for them before they thought they blew it. Restore them to the original thoughts that we discussed about them before we formed them in their mother's room. Restore them to the original thoughts that we talked about before they thought they blew it. Restore them to the original thoughts that we had about them before they were wounded. Restore them to the original thoughts that we had about them before they had to go through all of the hell in this life. Restore them to the original thoughts. Jesus is talking about original intent. He's saying, listen, I not only want to pray for them to become one, but I want them to be at one with us. He's saying, I want to see them the way 
that we see each other. One of the best explanations I've ever heard of the Trinity is that God can think a thought and Holy Spirit will finish the thought before they ever say it. He's talking about a unity that, that is so closely knit together. And he says, I want them to be at one with us. Restore them to the original position of one before there was ever a separation. Why is this important? Because it means that atonement, the atonement and the cross produced more than I just get to go to heaven one day. It means that he reconciled us to original intent. And that is the greatest demonstration of mercy. And I want to tell you this, that if you can ever begin to see the way that God sees you, you will have no difficulty seeing him the way that you should see him. Our issue is not that God is not good. Our issue is that we can't trust that he really sees us from the place of original intent. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, right? I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I know the plans that I have for you to give you a hope and a future, and to prosper. That was original intent. Do we believe that he slipped one centimeter from that? Do we believe that because of the trials and the issues that we've had in our life, that God slipped from his position one centimeter? Verse 24. Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my full glory. The very splendor you've placed upon me because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. I'm not saying that he's not talking about unity in the body I'm saying that that is an incomplete perspective of what he wants to do and what he wants you to understand. This is really what I hear Jesus saying. I'm about to leave, and I want them to be able to come with me. How do you come with me? Let's go back to a foundational doctrine that we've heard, but do we live? That we are seated in heavenly places. Why, why would we waste our time living an inferior reality when original intent has been available the whole time? Y'all may not think like that, but I do. And I've had conversations with God about that. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to do this not one more day. If the surface level idea of what's available is all there is, and one day I'm going to get to go to heaven in paradise, I have no desire. I have no desire to do it not one more day. But I know that there's something more. I know that he paid for more then we just get to go to heaven one day. Because if that were the case, he could have kept us there when they started talking about us before time began. 
I'm about to leave. And I want them to be able to come with me. He paid for more. Josh, come to the keyboard just real softly. There's a prayer movement that started in Hernhut in Germany by a group of people called the Moravians. Count Zinzendorf is the leader of this prayer movement that began. And it was a prayer movement that would go 24 hours a day, seven days a week for about 100 years. And it, it literally was not only the birthing of the prayer movement, but really the birthing of a missionary movement as well. It was, it was prayer and missions. And I, I want to read you a story about something that took place in the life of the Moravians. And I want you to understand that he paid for more. Two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner had 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. And the owner had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I am through with all of that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa brought to an island in the Atlantic and there to live and die without hearing of Christ. Several thousand black slaves toiled in the sugarcane fields under the burning sun. 3,000 slaves were doomed to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young Germans in their 20s from the Moravian sect heard about their plight and they were willing to sell themselves to the British planter for the standard price of a male slave if necessary. The Moravian community from Hernhut came to see the two lads off who were never, who would never return again. Having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery, as a member of the slave community, they would witness as Christians to the love of God. Family members were emotional, weeping, asking questions. Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? The housings had been cast off and were curled up on the pier. As the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened, the young men linked arms, raised their hands, and shouted across the spreading gap, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This became the call of the Moravian missions. And this is our only reason for being that the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. I just want to ask you a simple question today. In your life, is the lamb receiving the reward of his suffering? 
Is the lamb getting everything that he paid for out of your life? Or are you still holding on to the hurt and the wounds? Are you still holding on to the moments where horizontal relationships wounded you or hurt you and it's keeping you from being fully reconciled to the Father? Is he getting everything that he paid for in your life? See, he paid so that you would be at one with him. He paid that he could exchange our sins for his righteousness completely. Listen, I'm not saying that there's anybody in this room who does not love the Lord and is not on their way to heaven. I'm not suggesting that in any way. Only you know that, and only the Father knows that. What I'm saying is, are you living the fullness of his life? Are you going through a routine like you're on a hamster wheel, hoping that tomorrow will be different, but not making any changes in the interior life so that tomorrow could actually look different? Do you have any idea what it means to be at one? Do you have any idea what it means to live in your marriage where you're at one with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you have any idea what it means to be at your workplace where you're really at one? You're not at one with the American dream. You're not at one with all of the wounds. You're not at one with with these selfish goals and ambitions. I'm at one with you because before time began, you were thinking about me before I spoke a word you were speaking over me before I took a breath you breathed your life into me and even when I was your foe still your love fought for me is he getting what he paid for May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Complete restoration and reconciliation is available. I shared this story Wednesday night at prayer. There's a man, some of you may have heard of him by the name of Brennan Manning. Wrote several books that are popular, the Ragamuffin Gospel, Abba's Child. He's really the inspiration of the song we sang just a while ago, Abba, I Belong to You. Hundreds upon hundreds of times a day, he said he would hold his palms out like this and he would say, Abba, I belong to you. And eventually, as you inhale and exhale, you get in to the rhythm of your heart as you say, Abba, I belong to you. Brennan was teaching this concept. He was a Franciscan priest, believe it or not. He was teaching this concept, and he had been at a service, and they had a prayer line for healing till 12 o'clock. He was worn out, goes back to his room, 
falls on the bed, doesn't even get out of his clothes, just falls on the bed, goes to sleep. About three o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on the door. There's a little 78-year-old nun with a squeaky voice that says, Brennan, can I come in? Puts a little water on his face. He allows her in and says, Sister, what, what can I do for you? She begins to weep uncontrollably. He said it was a little awkward. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. But eventually she kind of calmed down and I said, Would you like to talk about it? She said, when I was five years old, my dad would climb into bed with no clothes on, touch me there, tell me to touch him there. And he said that our family doctor said it's what we needed to do to get closer to each other. When I was nine, he took my virginity. And when I was 12, I knew every possible heinous sexual act that you read about in dirty books. 78 years old, do you have any idea with the guilt and the hatred that I have in my heart? She said, if it wasn't that my absence would be noticeable, I would never partake of communion because of the guilt that I feel. She's saying this in response to him teaching about Abba, Father. He said, sister, would you be willing to try something for a month? She said, yeah. He said, I want you to get up every morning. And I want you to put your hands like this. And I want you to say, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. She agreed. Two weeks go by. He gets a letter. He says, the greatest letter I've ever received in my ministry to that point and beyond. So the 78-year-old nun writes a letter talking about the joys and the experience that she's had in the past two weeks. She gets to the end of the letter. And she said, a year ago, in my place of religion, I would have signed this letter, Sister Mary of Genevieve. But from now on, I'm going to sign it as daddy's little girl. I'm telling you that there is complete restoration and that he paid so that you could be whole. We know that sound waves never die. I can hear those two young Moravians saying, in your life may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering he's willing to fight past your pride he's willing to fight past your pride that's the last thing to go you understand that it's your pride your pride is the last thing to go what are they going to think what will people think? What are they going to say? Who cares? They were not the ones who were slain. 
from the foundation of the world. So I just want to ask you again, is he getting what he paid for? Is he getting what he paid for? Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.